Welcome. I'm Jeff Cober, and we're glad uh, you're here to join with us here at uh, Disney at Play. We are here for uh, Disney in Space Part 2. Hopefully you've had a chance to listen to our Part 1 podcast with uh, both myself and with uh, Disney historian Jim Corcus. I really appreciate him joining uh, joining for this conversation that celebrates the 50th anniversary of the Apollo Lunar Module Eagle landing on the moon, as um, as well as a celebration of all things Disney and space. Now, I, I have to admit, before we get underway, to get the real effect of being in space, Jim sounds like he's actually an astronaut talking to us from the dark side of the moon. <laughs> Seriously, folks, our apologies. We're trying to seek to improve sound when we're at different places and at different locations. So please bear with us, and we'll keep improving as we get further along in other podcasts. Enough of that. Let's go and uh, listen to part two. Now, meanwhile, Walt has to kind of create the reality at Disneyland. Because now he's, he's sold everybody on it. What's it going to look like when you get there? As these shows are being made, yes, Disneyland is being made at the exact same time. Yeah. Yeah, so so um, so space is represented in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, uh, the, the, there's always been some kind of spinner rocket ride uh, in the park, um, pre- pretty much most of the time, and um, um, and there were exhibits, um, the the satellite uh, exhibit, the, the they, satellite view of of America, which was, was basically sort of this moving walkway where you were supposed to be observing Earth from... From space. Gosh, I guess it was about 500 miles in the air, you know, yeah. type thing, looking down. This, this is what you would see from a, uh, uh, a, a satellite, you know, uh, up there. So, but, but of course, um, uh, f- flight to the moon... Um, well, rocket, a rocket, rocket to the moon. Rocket I mean, to the moon was the one that was there from fifty-five to sixty-six, and then the updated version, flight, was flight to the moon, moon. came in in uh, sixty-seven with the, with the new Tomorrowland. Now, I don't they, remember. They, they, I don't remember Rocket to the Moon. I do remember Flight to the Moon with uh, Mister uh, Tom Morrow being uh, in charge. And um, but I but what was the, was there a pre-show to Rocket to the Moon? Or was it you just... Uh, yes, uh, but, but the pre-show was, was roughly about um, 10 minutes uh, showing uh, ten minutes showing the uh, history of uh, rocketry, which was basically uh, uh, from uh, men in space. Because, because again, mm. what you're trying to do in the pre-show is you're pri- trying to um, uh, set in people's minds what is this you know, about what is, what is this going to look like? So you have images in your guest minds already of what it looks like of a rocket in space and, and going around the moon and all of that. So when you go into, you know, um, uh, the theater there, uh, you know, and, and there are scanner screens on the bottom and scanner screens on the top there, you already have it, it, in your mind, you're you're already creating 
this idea of oh my gosh we're going out into space and we're going to see the you know the dark side of the the moon of the moon yeah you know and and flight to the moon you know the theater is, is exactly the, the same but yeah you have the uh, NASA uh, the pre-show is, is you have uh, uh, yeah uh, control center director Tom Morrow and this is the very first time that an audio animatronic interacts with a cast member. Boy, wasn't so that that wasn't that the, the fascinating was Dr. Morrow and he responds. Wasn't that fascinating? I always found that to be be very cool how Mr. Tom Morrow would talk to the you know, usually it was a, a Disneyland hostess. Um, well, and, and, and then again, Disney cast members being the, the type of people that they are, after a while, some of them would get bored, and so they would uh, ask uh, non-sequitur questions tomorrow because they knew exactly what the response was going to be there. Yeah, no, and, you know, and, and, and again, Flight to the Moon is where in the pre-show you, you see that famous footage that people just absolutely love, which is the... Uh, uh, Albatross. It yes, yes. An awkward landing, and it sets off security uh, uh, alarms, and you know, it, it, it was just so. Um, it was uh, so clever. That, you know, it, 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 it still exists in uh, uh, Mission Space at Epcot to yes. this day as part of the pre-show. It's if you if you're looking at the panels at, at, at Epcot, you see the same footage. It's pure Disney. Uh, uh, shtick, you know, it, it just is, mm-hmm. and 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 in the early days, um, there was a there was a rocket at the entrance to to this. Yes, the the Moonliner. The Moonliner, and um, which actually is bigger than the Moonliner. I think it was about a third bigger than the Moonliner is that that's at Disneyland today. Yeah, it, I, I'm not exactly sure what the proportion is, but yeah, it it, it was uh, almost uh, eighty feet tall when. Uh, uh, it, it was there at um, uh, uh, Disneyland in, in 55, and, and that was supposed to be the, uh, you know, icon uh, of that land, just like the castle is the icon of uh, the fantasy land and uh, all of that. So this was supposed to be uh, that. And, and the Moonliner, of course, looks an awful lot like uh, Werner von Braun. Yeah. V uh, two rocket, although it was designed by uh, uh, John Hench, and Hench, you know, came up with the three uh, uh, steel uh, pylon uh, uh, landing supports, gear. You know, for for that landing gear there. But you uh, know, isn't it interesting because because flight to the moon and and I get I assume rocket to the moon as well and um, they all landed perfectly at the end. You know, where the yeah. space program was throwing you over into the sea, you know, with a parachute. This was actually creating a vision. And here we are now. We're watching rockets land perfectly. Yeah, 50 well, years later. Is that not visionary? Part, yes. Sometimes they'll miss the barge or sometimes they'll land perfectly on the barge. Then the barge will shift and they'll tip over. But, but, but yes, that, that, that was it. And, and in fact... But, you know, but where was the vision the created? You know, that's the, that, that's um, the amazing thing, is that vision was created back in 1955, you know, that you would right, land well, back. And, and in fact, the other thing that uh, is in Rocket to the Moon and in Flight to the Moon that people take for, for granted is um, back in those days, 
you know, if you wanted to get on an airplane, they rolled out a, a, a set of stairs. Yeah. And you walked oh, yeah. out onto the tarmac and you walked up a set of stairs into that. It was John Hench who came up with the idea of that gantry that will extend out from the building to the rocket. So, so that when you were in the rocket to the moon or flight to the moon, you're walking down this hallway and then right into the cabin, you know? It, it was John Hench who came up with that, and then later it, it's now used, uh, you know, for, for airplanes. And, but, but again, that all came... You know, we take for granted a lot of the things that uh, Disney innovated, you know, like, like uh, name tags. Yeah. People didn't wear name tags, at, at, you know, when they were dealing with uh, 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 customers. Uh, the switchback queue, the switchback queue, which is where you go down a line and then you turn around and you go down another line and you turn and you go... That, again, that, that was a, a Walt Disney invention so that you would be entertained by the other people in line and also you felt you were getting somewhere because you could see the end of the line. So all you have to do is to make it down there and then you turn and now you're in another line and you see the end of the line and it's just within your line of vision so you can yeah. see it's not this Switch long back to line there. So, so the... the um and if people want to know more about the the uh, rocket to the moon, flight to the moon, and and mission to Mars, mission to Mars, um, the the, uh, uh, the rocket uh, uh, jets, the the moon liner, the, the flying saucers from the nineteen sixties. Yeah. yeah, all these, all these. Uh, by the way, you talk about them in your don't you in the extinct uh, attractions yeah, no, at there's, Disneyland. There's, there's a chapter devoted to each of those in. Uh, Secret Stories of Extinct Disneyland from Theme Park Press, which is available at Amazon.com. And um, again, there's a whole chapter on Rocket to the Moon, so you can read that, and a whole chapter on Flight to the Moon, yeah. so you can read that, and a whole chapter on uh, uh, Mission to Mars. It know? is disappointing to me that that attraction is a uh, restaurant now at Disneyland. Yes. Um, that is a disappointment for me. Um, that said, um, we have we have Space Mountain, and nothing quite gives you the. I mean, I remember first time I went on flight to the moon and felt my seat move. And they had this little how, how do we describe it, Jim? Air cushion thing that moves. It's, it's called an air jack. Yeah, so it, so it'll shove up your seat and then it'll drop. So you, so you get that sort of momentary sense of weightlessness. And and the fact that you're not expecting this totally, totally blew everybody away in the room, you know. Um, <clears throat> at, at both uh, uh, departure yeah, and landing. It's like, oh my gosh, this, this, this must be... This must uh, be the real thing. must be real. <laughs> but, you, you know, I, I was talking to uh, Imagineer Tony Baxter, and he loved the attraction. And he said, it took me the longest time as a kid to suddenly figure out wait a minute, I was walking on this carpet into this room. What happened to the carpet when the, when the ship takes off? Is the carpet dragging <laughs> of, of the ship there? Because again, I, well, of course it's a more innocent time, but people wanted to believe, and again, it goes to Walt's sense of story. So everything seems real, and, and you've got... Um, 
the captain of the ship, Captain Collins, you know, talking to you over the intercom, and, and he's using this terminology and all this, so it, so it seems, and you're looking at the screen on the bottom, and you're looking at the screen on the top, and it, it doesn't occur to you of, boy, we get to the moon very fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah. now not to jump ahead, but to, 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 before we go on to other attractions and other space um, aspects of, of Disney, mm-hmm. I, we have to just say that this is a cultural phenomenon of the 50s where American youth were growing up with cowboys and playing cowboys and Indians and Davy Crockett coonskin caps and all of a sudden this whole thing rolls in. This this is played out perfectly in Pixar's Toy Story where you have Woody uh, being kind of uh, replaced, replaced by, by Buzz Lightyear. Um, it, but it really, that was the sentiment of a country. Um, and, there and, was, and, and you know that Buzz Lightyear was based on Buzz Aldrin. That's oh, where the sure. buzz comes from. Sure. And, um, and uh, so it, it, this was a phenomenal aspect of the culture. And Walt was just riding this whole surf, um, this whole wave. Well, well Walt was, was always interested in the future, but he was always interested in the immediate future. You know, mm-hmm. by, by the time Flash Gordon and, and Buck Rogers came out, Walt was already running his own animation studio and, and worried about salaries and worried about deadlines and all that. If, if it had come out earlier, maybe that would have affected Walt uh, differently. But, but he, he never warmed to, you know, Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and, and all of those others that, you know, were more of a fantasy, you know, uh, bug-eyed monster, you know, uh, type of thing. Walt was interested in the future that was just around the corner. So when uh, Disneyland uh, opened in 55, Tomorrowland was supposed to represent the world of tomorrow, the world of 1984. Uh, was it 86? 86, because that's when Haley's Comet would come uh... back. the future 
literature that was from the pulp magazines and from the movies and all that, the, the prediction of, of, of what the, you know, oh my gosh, people are going to be riding hoverboards and, and, and things like this. And so by doing that, you can keep it sort of timeless, but, but still keep that illusion of, of tomorrow. So the the interesting thing is is so we propel ourselves now to you know past nineteen sixty nine it's almost become de classe to see a man walking on the moon then we have Apollo thirteen where and, 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 and again so that, that's why people were not going to, to flight to the moon any, anymore yeah you know two years after the attract flight to the moon opened yes that's that's when the moon landing happened sixty nine and then you you're continuing to have you know, moon landings, and, and so people don't want that artificial experience, which is why Disney tried to do that overlay of making it, uh, you know, uh, the, the mission to Mars. Yeah, so, but, but so... people still didn't buy into that. It was like, you know, well, been there, done that. So I want to say it was John Hench working on Space Mountain much earlier than, than possibly even, yeah, much earlier than even when the then the astronauts landed on the moon, but it really didn't. 64. Sixty-four is when he first started working on that, where Walt wanted an indoor uh, roller coaster. Yeah. So that he could control the environment. But we don't really time. see it take place until um, nineteen seventy-four, seventy-five. And we well, see it take place. Disney, we see it. He was looking for a, for a sponsor. Yeah. Well, RCA. Vince RCA. Yeah. You know. And 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 what makes this really unique too is that it's not. It's taking place at Walt Disney World, which is mm-hmm. not too far from NASA, and and it's kind of a, you know, it's it's a kind of a new new chapter in this kind of idea of uh, space thrills, so to speak. But Space Mountain, as, 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 as lovely as we love to pay homage to, to uh, Rocket to the Moon and Flight to the Man- Moon and Mission to Mars, it's just nothing compared to Space Mountain, which has been such a, a huge hit for so many years. Um, and, and really was uh, a popular attraction for people who wanted to feel the thrill of uh, space. Well, it, it, it still is. There's a Space Mountain that exists in every, you know, Disney theme park uh, uh, worldwide. And, and, and again, yeah, except for designed it so it was like a cone so that it would match the, the track, but it looked like that cone looked like a mountain. And the attraction was, my gosh, you're in space. So Hench says that's why it was called Space Mountain. And, uh, it, you know, uh, it, it doesn't go as fast as people think, but because it's in the dark, because you're having wind blowing in, in your face, you think that it's going a lot faster than, than it actually is. And, and, of course, since it is dark, you can't see where the dips are and the, the curves and, and, and the turns of all of that. And the structural supports were put on the outside so that the inside right. was smooth so you could put the projections on there, which is what what Walt wanted. So so that would, uh, you know, uh, 
get you get you involved. And and again, there you know we think oh well, Space Mountain it's always been there, but it's always been evolving, you know, uh, as well with the you tracks know, they, and everything. Uh, yeah, they, uh, there's there's been sound. There's been all that in in Paris. It launches from the outside, right? Right. Right. And so, you know, you, you have all that. And, and then at one time, um, uh, Disney was actually thinking of changing the one at Disneyland to um, Muppets in Space. <laughs> we can be glad that didn't happen. Now, was your first and, time and, on... And so, yeah, the, the swine trek would have been uh, <laughs> jutting out the, the side of Space Mountain as it we, we could be glad and that did not you're, happen. You're, 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 going, you're going through the queue and on the monitors you're seeing the, the Muppets and you, you're going on a, a, a mission with uh, Miss Piggy and, uh, uh, you know, the rest of the crew where you have to um, deliver a pizza to this galactic dictator in, in 30 minutes or less or else the entire world gets annihilated. This is why I. This is why we bring you on the show, Jim. Nobody else would bring Muppets in space to a reality like, like you would. Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Was your first time on Space Mountain? Was that in at Disneyland or at Walt Disney World? At uh, Disneyland. Disneyland. I, I'm, I'm a I'm a California boy. I grew up in. Yeah. Um, My first uh, time. Glendale, California. And so it, when Space Mountain uh, opened in uh, California, in that's, that's when I first wrote it. I, I didn't come out uh, to Florida until 1995. So I remember Space Mountain too. Remember the old space uh, stage uh, there in the center mm, of yes. it? Um, and uh, and uh, the people mover kind of going around and through it. And it was... Uh, I, I loved that. I, I thought I've always had a. Uh, I've always liked Space Mountain for the thematic experience more at Disneyland than probably at Walt Disney World. But but yeah. definitely well, it's well, an well, exciting well, one at, at, at Magic Disneyland Kingdom. Is, is a little smaller, and and of course it it is sunk into the ground because you can't have yeah. it too tall because then it towers over Main Street. Right. So, so they actually had to dig down into the ground, and with one track instead of you know, yeah. and a and a two two uh, uh, vehicle with two people side by side. So, it does the same thing it, in it, terms it, of. See, but when I wrote it at Disneyland, I didn't know about you know. I, I knew there was one that was out in uh, in Florida, but it never occurred to me that it was significantly different. It was like. Disneyland. Is so, Disneyland is the place. Disneyland is the premier park, you know? That so, they'll have the best of, of, of everything. If you can talk about Muppets at Space Mountain, I'm just going to mention in homage Space Place, the fast food restaurant with the best burgers and cottage carved French fries. Cottage, <clears throat> cottage fries um, with Parmesan. And that's that's my memory of great food at Disneyland was Space Place. Hey, your your memory wasn't of, of the space stage that came up from oh. underground. <laughs> well, and I love the space stage because what you could do is grab something at Space Place, then go find a mm-hmm. table and watch watch Kids of the Kingdom perform. Right. And, I, and, oh boy, do I miss, I miss Kids uh, uh, of the Kingdom and. You know, one of one of the things that Disney has done right 
is this coming year they're making as a legend Barnett Ritchie. Barnett yes. Ritchie is the one who do. Yes, know, isn't that uh, exciting? Did uh, Kids, Kids of the Kingdom. A, a lot of people have forgotten Barnett Ritchie. She also did Fantasmic. Uh, Fantasmic. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But, uh, things like that. Oh, but I miss Kids of the Kingdom. It. it, it, it I remember, see, we are way off track now, but I remember hearing the music. I I remember hearing the music from Pete's Dragon. I I remember hearing the music from Pete's Dragon for the first time in a show by by Kids of the Kingdom. That's that's how I, I go back to that. Now, so Space Mountain, other than Shanghai, Space Mountain has been in every park. Shanghai has a Tron coaster. But, um, but now we go into, and now we go to Epcot. And space at Epcot um, really began with the the salutes to to space. Really, the I, well. First of all, you have the top of spaceship spaceship Earth. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, but I was also thinking very much about Horizons because we both we go on the land, we go into the sea, but we we definitely go up into space. In uh, in the Horizons attraction, which I think was a tremendous romantic view of of the possibility. You know, you talk, Jim, about well, about it, about it, future it, not it, that far away. That everybody could go on. Yeah, you, your small yeah. child could go on it. Your grandparents could could go on it. You know, unlike Mission Space, which you know uh, uh, is limited. To, to who who can experience that you know and and come off and not be disoriented or or, or or sick you know even if you go on the mild you know version horizons was that and actually where horizons was the reason for horizons position mm-hmm. there at Epcot was that was set aside to build an Epcot space pavilion. Which I've seen photos of. We'll maybe include a picture of that in um, in the show notes. Tell us a little bit about what the original idea was on that. Oh, we, we, actually, actually, there were several uh, ideas. In fact, one was when you entered the pavilion, you would be inside a space station. There, there, there was another version where you would be in these uh, hanging gondola uh, type. Um, Ride vehicles, ride vehicles. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that would take you through, you know, uh, uh, space. They, they were constantly pitching, you know, um, uh, ideas. But again, the problem becomes finding a sponsor, and and that's what uh, Disney uh, uh, does. Is Disney wants somebody else to foot the bill, pay the bill, or pay most of the bill. Well, you know, it's not not only for the uh, R and D and for the, for the actual physical, but also the uh, maintenance for a period of time. Yeah, yeah. You Thankfully, know, they it, found it in GE, who who came mm-hmm. came on board to that one, which had also done um, uh, the Carousel of Progress prior. Um, mm-hmm. So. So that was cool, and it feels it feels very much like a a sequel to Carousel Progress. To the Carousel yeah. Progress, which yeah. I always thought was, was nice. Yeah. What I, what I liked too was that at the end of Horizons, you choose. You got to make your choice, yeah, of, of how you want to, you know, 
and, and, and so that that was really cool. And 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 you tried to peer around the, the panels to see if the, the person in the vehicle on the other side of you picked the same thing, or they're they're going back, you know, uh, in a different way. And and again, that was not supposed to be the ending of the ride. The ending of the ride was supposed to have been that big. Um, uh, IMAX screen, you know, where you, where you sure. see the that's now the, that, that we, became we, the was just, center of the ride. Yeah, it was just amazing. That was a, and and there were just some. There are always uh, interesting reasons why. I I you know I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I I totally agree with that and I always was hoping that you'd see the space shuttle taking off, you know, when you'd gotten, because it was a different things, a DNA chain and so forth. And I was always hoping I'd get the, you'd get the rocket see, scene because it was such a great, um, it was a great scene in that, uh, in that, uh, in that attraction. In that attraction. And, and, and in fact, there are little tributes of Horizon into, uh, uh, mission space, so that you know the horizon symbol is on the uh, on the wheel. It's over by the uh, uh, cash register at the uh, exit there. So, um, so and, we and, lose. And, and so again, there's always uh, Disney has always tried to uh, incorporate that because I think, and, and we were talking about this off mic uh, earlier. I, I think space very much aligns with the Disney brand, you know, a, a, a sense of wonder, a, a sense of, you know, a great big beautiful tomorrow, you know, just around the, the corner, you know, for, and that's what Walt believed too. Walt believed that actually uh, American technology would provide us with this great big beautiful tomorrow, you know. Uh, so, so that it would solve so many of, of our uh, of our current uh, problems. Uh, problems. Now, today, my basic feeling is, is space is more of an escape. You know, boy, we we really ruined the Earth. Let's go someplace else and start over. Well, maybe maybe that we should mention that because really, if there's a place where we talk about space as an escape, it is Star Wars. And the fact that Star Wars has become such a huge part of the Disney parks, first with Star Tours, but then if, and and I guess we could have a moment of silence for Captain EO too. But but um, yeah. but uh, but well, we, but we the, certainly talk, talk about that. But you, you know, with, with Star Wars, it also brings up um, that topic that needs to be discussed. Is uh, of course Robert Iger's uh, business process is let's bring in other franchises you know uh marvel you know the muppets uh, star wars all of this and the question that i still struggle with is does that dilute increase the disney brand or does that water down the disney yeah does brand? it dilute the brand well you know how, how did you feel you know, I'm a big comic book collector. There are things that happen in Star Wars that really don't align, you know, with um, uh, the Disney brand. And the other thing that I 
I struggle with is suddenly these other franchises are being made Disney legends. So you have Stan Lee and Jack Kirby being made Disney legends. You have uh, actors in Star Wars being made Disney legends. And to me, a Disney legend is somebody who's contributed to the Disney heritage. And so someone like Barnett Ritchie, it's like, my gosh, you worked anonymously, you know, for years, for decades, and now you're getting the recognition for that good for you that is well deserved I love Stan Lee and Jack Kirby I've, I've met both of them in person but when they were made Disney legends my f- first reaction was gee really you know I, I don't so, think they've contributed to the Disney you know so Jim you and I are both purists and you <laughs> probably you probably had the same experience when Captain EO opened and then Star Tours opened after that, you were probably just kind of going, what? It doesn't feel yeah, quite yeah. right. It, it, because up until that time, what you're having is everything is Disney related, whether it's uh, Davy Crockett's Mike Fink Keel, Keel Boats or, or whatever. Well, it was it, funny it, it, because it, there's it, nothing it, Disney. There's Disney intellectual property. Yeah, well... Well, there's or, nothing. Or, or it was new Disney intellectual property. Well, there's like, nothing uh, Disney. Of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion. Yeah, you know? there's nothing too Disney related about the miracle of molecules in in inner space. <laughs> but 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 it felt Disney, didn't it? I mean, it was well, just part of the of Disney thing. You've got the Sherman Brothers song. That's, that's well, that, it. That, maybe that's what made it so. And and of course we have our friend the Adam, but that is really digressing from today's conversation. <laughs> Um, but, but, you know, it is, it, it is an interesting thing. And I, I had the opportunity to be out at Disneyland to see the new Galaxy Edge, uh, Galaxy's Edge out there. And it is a, a, an amazing attraction and an amazing experience. But it is a different, it is a, I, I mean, it was a, it was a jarring experience to walk out of it back into Critter Country and the Hungry Bear Restaurant and realize, oh yeah, I'm at Disneyland. This it just feels well, and, and, feels and, and, totally and you're, separate. You're, you're seeing Disney itself struggle with this because it's like, yes, you can buy these uh, this clothing in Batu and you can wear it there, but you can't wear it out into the rest of the park. Well, yeah, you got all those little issues. Uh, here's here's I think let me let me <laughs> because but, our, but, but anyway, our saga standpoint. This uh, is you know. Our saga, and, and again, from, from from the reactions I've gotten from people who've experienced it at, at Disneyland, it's like, my gosh, this is a wonderfully immersive experience. You know, you, you it, it, it's it's just so wonderful, and you want to go. There's the repeatability. You want to go back and experience it again. It's not like, oh well, I did that once, and that's enough. Now I'm going <laughs> to go on to something else. I think whether it's Horizons or whether it's Mission Space, whether it's or Mission to Mars or Space Mountain and the RCA, we didn't even talk about the RCA finale, or if it's Star, Star Wars, I think there's still, there's still that optimism that can be found. Even, even, even at the end of Captain Neil, there was this sense of optimism that could be found. And if there was one thread that that follows these space attractions, follows the future, and follows Walt Disney, certainly no thread c- could be stronger with Walt Disney than optimism. 
and he was that, optimism that, 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 about that, that, the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, Ray, he wanted people to feel good. Ray Bradbury called him a behavioral optimist, which I thought was a fairly clinical term, but when he explains it, he says, look, he was not just optimistic. His, optimist, his optimism drove him to doing things. And yes. doing things generated greater optimism and positivity for him. And I think that's I think that's a great message out of our experience with Disney in space is that is that these things can generate an optimism for going out and doing things. Clearly, the man in the uh, the man in space series created an optimism for this country, which led led everyone to the moon, and and other things which Disney has done has created. Uh, that optimism for doing other um, innovation, in, innovations, and 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 things around around the world, and I, I, that's why I love Tomorrowland. Is when when it's at its best, and it's not always, but when it's at its best, you feel optimistic about the world ahead of you. Yes, yes, which 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 is wonderful because you're not getting that. You know, sometimes in the real world, you know. Yeah. So it, I, I think that's one of the reasons people go to a Disney theme park is because it's a, a different. It's an. It's not just a physical experience; it's an emotional experience. No, it is. You know, you you, you, you can go to other theme parks and they have terrific attractions and all sorts of things, but it never feels the same as when you're in a Disney park because it, it just feels different. And, and, and you're right. Uh, and, and, and you're getting e- even that feeling the moment you step into the park and into Main Street. Main, Main Street is the optimism of, look, things are great now, but they're even going to be greater, you know, uh, for this to happen. But, but Tomorrowland, you're right, is, is very much... Uh, uh, an example of just you wait, just you wait, wait. Something's coming and it's going to be great and you're going to love it, you know. And um, as you mentioned earlier, you know the as again Bradbury I think referenced it as such. Um, it's a great big beautiful tomorrow is really an ode to Walt and his philosophy, and uh, and it is. It's a great big beautiful tomorrow. And if 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 we can just get a hold of that possibility and and see the opportunity, um, then then all of that is has been worth it, and all of that uh, well, well, paints well, a well, picture the for me. Basic feeling was that people were good. Yeah, people yeah. were good, and, and 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 if they did bad things or whatever, it's because they were given bad information. So if you give them good information, they they will start doing good things. Yeah. Good thing. And, and again, just the inspiration. Walt has been gone for half a century, and yet there are many people who think that Walt will be walking in the door any minute now. You know, it, it, that spirit is still so strong, it's still so alive, and it's still inspiring others. You know, let, let, let's go and be the best that we are let's let's go and help people let's go and you know 
explore, you know, and, and we're going to be safe, you know, we're, everything's going to be all right, you know, and, um, and, and, you know, that it, it's that level of, uh, reassurance and, and you definitely get it from, um, you know, uh, Disney films, you know, even if you go to Pleasure Island, even if you get transformed into a donkey, it's going to be all right. Even if you take a bite of that poison apple and it looks like you're dead, it's going to be all right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's this sense of reassurance that, you know, things aren't going to be smooth all the time, but, you know, in, in the end, it, 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 I, I remember um, Alice Davis, who was the wife of Mark Davis, who was mm-hmm. an Imagineer and one of the nine old men and all that. Uh, I, I, I was interviewing her, and, and she said, Jim, I believe in happy endings. So if you're not happy right now, it just means it's not the ending yet. Nice, nice. Well, hey, it has been a pleasure to have you, and and in that spirit of optimism, uh, joy, joy as always, Jeff. And so I hope your listeners have have bought all of your books, and I, I hope well, they go on to Amazon.com and that's what I was going to say. If and, and look for my book, that's what I was going to say. If you want to feel the spirit of optimism, you you got to pick up, you got to pick up Jim's book, whether it's a uh, the Vault of Walt or Walt Disney's Garage of Dreams or Great Big Beautiful Tomorrow which um, uh, is out there. I mean, Jim has, Jim has the corner on the details. And if you really yeah, want the history... Yeah, Jim doesn't have a girlfriend or a wife, <laughs> so that's why you know, <laughs> he, 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 he can retain all of this uh, trivia. If, it, if either of those things happen, it, it just dribbles out my ears, you know, like goo. So, so enjoy it, you know, uh, uh, while you can, and, and make sure you always listen to this uh, 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 podcast. Because uh, uh, I've worked with uh, Jeff for a, a, a long time, you know, back in the days of the Disney Institute, which I I, I miss that uh, uh, tremendously. Arena. And uh, uh, Jeff uh, just has this real passion for Disney and and this real knowledge of Disney. And more importantly, being able to take that and make those connections so that you can uh, not just sit back and uh, enjoy it, but actually use it. So uh, check check out his books and uh, check out my books and uh, may all your Disney dreams come true. Love that. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate you taking the time today. that concludes our podcast for today. Thanks for joining us for part two of Disney and Space. And I appreciate Jim Corcus for joining us and bringing his historical knowledge of all things Disney as well as his love and passion. Uh, You may want to uh, check out our other podcasts, many of which are Disney at Work podcasts as well as Disney at Play podcasts where we make connections back to your own business or organization. Know that we provide a show notes page for each of our podcasts, but you'll find links to other posts we have and so much more. In fact, you'll see a link to Jim Corcus's books and our show notes page. And while you're visiting our websites, be sure to access Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, a complete guide. That guide includes unique interactive maps detailing where everything is 
uh, in this new land. Details showcasing food and beverage, shopping experiences. In fact, we're actually putting in a new uh, video uh, that uh, will be there soon on retail at Galaxy's Edge. But we have over a hundred drawings, photos, and videos showcasing this newest Disney experience. You're definitely going to want to check it out, especially if you're trying to figure out, well, you know, how do I approach the experience if I'm visiting Disneyland or when I uh, see it at Disney's Hollywood Studios after it opens there. So the guide is available when you subscribe to our Disney at Play and Disney at Work websites. When you do, you'll be uh, also subscribed to our drawing to win a free Rex droid. You remember Rex from Star Tours. Uh, that uh, is $150 value and uh, works with your Bluetooth. It's a very cool uh, little droid. And that drawing will take place on the day Galaxy's Edge opens at Disney's Hollywood Studios late August. So be sure to subscribe between now and then. If you like our podcast, please subscribe, like us, share with others. Our Disney podcasts um, provide content that fans uh, love about Disney. And yet we also offer, through Disney at Work, smart ways in which you can apply these same ideas back to your workplace. Why not create a little Disney magic in your job? Let Disney at Work show you how. We're a young website, but we bring decades of experience and insights from Disney. If you like the content we're bringing to you, please subscribe, like us, and share with others on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let others know so they can benefit as well. Hey, this concludes our podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Whether it's work or play, remember, keep finding the magic. <laughs>